This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 270 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. So guys, we are actually on the road. We're in uh, St. Augustine getting ready for our live event. Uh, actually, it'll be after our live event, but this was come up about that time, so we had to pre-record it in advance. And as usual, when we're out of town... We are giving you a Patreon bonus that we've done in the past. This one's on the Green Lady. It's a really fun episode. Most of you have not heard it. And uh, for those of you that have heard it, we do have a little something new because we have author M.R. Gorga on for an interview about his new book, Demons Among Us. Pretty cool conversation. Plus, he had a really crazy story. That is not on this, but we're putting it out on our Halloween episode, mm-hmm. which we're excited to do our fourth annual Halloween episode coming up later. I can tell you already we've got submissions from uh, Derek Hayes from Monsters Among Us. Great. Has already sent something. Of course, uh, our buddy David Florida from Blurry Photos has already mm-hmm. sent us something. Wonderful. And we've got several more already. So uh, Ian Gibbs from Ghost and Bears, formerly from uh, the Ghost Story Guys, he's already sent us something. Leslie has sent us something good so we've got a, a ton or even though we're just barely into september we're already working on the halloween show that's so amazing super excited all right we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world no matter which country you're representing thanks to all of you so even though this is a replay show or uh not allowed you guys are still going to get your thanks of course thank you guys for your service please stay safe we pray for you guys every single day guys and gals and we just all want you to be home as with uh, other episodes, we want to remind everybody that mentally it's challenging for a lot of people right now. We just want you to know that, you know, hey, don't be a statistic of one of these people that just didn't think they had anywhere to turn and and took a way out that we don't want anybody to take. You have people who want to talk to you, whether you realize it or not that want to help you get over whatever hurdles you may be trying to get over right now. So please send us a message. Uh, Could you call or write to Tracy, myself, anybody in the group, uh, or if you just would rather talk to someone that's a little more anonymous. Um, If you'd rather call the hotline, you can call them at 1-800-273-8255, or you can text them at 741-741. All right, so let's listen to this story about the Green Lady, and then we'll be right back with M.R. Gorga. Hey, guys, welcome to the January 2021 Patreon bonus episode. Well, that sounds weird. <laughs> it, it does. <laughs> Hi, guys. Tracy, today's story I found was, was kind of interesting. It's one I had never heard of, stumbled across, did a little research on it, and the town uh, that this story takes place in 
and the restaurant that's the focal point doesn't even exist anymore. No kidding. Now, I closed down a couple of years ago, but I can't find the exact date. That's how small this town was. But No, but it's not been that long ago that no, it closed no, down. No, well, the, the situation took place like 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. But, you know, well, some of it took place over 50, 60 years ago. But oh. you'll see You'll see as we get into this. All righty. Tonight's story is called The Green Lady. The story of The Green Lady takes place in Avard, Oklahoma, and it starts in March of 1956. Mildred Ann Newton, our subject of the story, was born on Christmas Day, 1933. She got married in 1955. Mildred was known by family and friends as Anne, and that's how she'll be referred to for the rest of the episode. Anne was a sweet, petite, pretty young lady with a very shy smile. She was a 22-year-old senior at Northwestern Oklahoma State University at Alva, Oklahoma, which was about 30 minutes away from Avard. Anne was happily married to a 26-year-old teacher and a basketball coach at Avard High School by the name of Richard D. Reynolds. The future for the two should have been bright. Anne was going to be a school teacher. Her and Richard wanted to have at least four children of their own that they were expected to raise in that part of Oklahoma because to them, that was home. Sounds good. Unfortunately, this would not be the case. Sounds bad. <laughs> <laughs> On Tuesday, March 13th, just afternoon. Anne had just finished her morning classes and jumped into her 1949 Chevy Tudor and began her 30-minute drive to Abart High School to meet with her husband. Unfortunately, she never made it. No one will ever know what exactly happened on that fateful day as she drove along that dirt road with just miles of flat wheat fields ahead. About an hour after Anne left for Avard, Lauren Goshen, who was a farmer in the area, was driving his tractor and he noticed a bunch of black smoke off in a distance. He made his way over and was shocked to find a car burning on Alva Avard Road. Well, the how car- well, how in the world can that happen if she's driving on a straight road with nothing but wheat filled? Well, we're gonna, we'll probably get into that here. Well, we, we'll definitely get into it. Oh, okay. <laughs> the car straddled a shallow ditch. The rear wheels were embedded in the sand. The driver's side door was open. Now, Lauren could smell flesh burning as he got close to the intense heat. Oh, my gosh. That's awful. He was able to get close enough to see a charred body in the front seat. Mm. He rushed to the Alba police station to let them know what was going on. Her husband learned of the horrifying news shortly after that. Oh, man. His wife had had suffered a terrible death, as anybody could think about burning her. Of course. That's horrible. At first, investigators thought that it was an accident. It looked like Anne had just lost control of her car. She hit a tree, and then the car burst in flames as she tried to drive away. That was their initial thought. Well, apparently there were cans of brake fluid and gasoline in the trunk of the car. Oh, okay. So it was assumed that this is, you know, when she hit the thing, maybe that exploded yeah. back there, and that's what that's what caused it. Anne was also known to have some dizzy spells, and it was possible that she suffered one of these and it caused her to lose control of the car. So her family mm-hmm. thought, you know, I guess this is possible. It really didn't look suspicious. Yeah. But there were so many odd elements to this story that they just couldn't all be overlooked. First of all, her right shoe was found 256 feet in front of the car with blood splattered on it. Uh, yeah, that sounds a little 
shady. Right. This was the side of a patch of, of tall grass that had been kind of mashed down flat as if someone had been laying there for a little bit or possibly even an attack had happened there. Oh, man. Her charred coat was found 10 feet behind the car. A button was also found outside of the car that was perhaps either ripped off of either her blouse or an attacker's shirt. The other big thing here that really made it look fishy was that the entire car was burned bumper to bumper, as if it was covered with some type of accelerant and set on fire. Yeah. Because if there had been just an explosion or something in the back, you know, it wouldn't have covered the entire car for the most part. Not the way that this burned, because, you know, they can tell when they're looking at fires and stuff like that, the level of heat that was there. And, and I mean, it, it seems weird, too, because if the front of her car hit the tree, I mean, that's not the back of her car. Right. So. And they said that, like, the tires were all burnt, which normally they wouldn't burn. They might melt a little bit, yeah. but they wouldn't be burning. The engine compartment was completely full. They said temperatures had reached 1,700 degrees, which was hot enough to shatter the cars, uh, all the cars' windows. And that was not probable uh, that a spontaneous fire starting in a trunk would would have done so much damage. Yeah, no, not that quick anyway. Right. All of the facts were brought before a jury to determine if there needed to be further investigation. An autopsy was performed by Dr. Max Scheidel, and he told the jury that Anne had had skull fractures that could have been results from blows to the head or the intense heat. He couldn't say for sure. A few of the other facts came out during the jury testimonies, like another car was seen at the site around the same time that the accident happened, or Mm -hmm. presumed accident happened. They also had found some bullet casings near the site as well, and a second set of tire tracks, which suggested that Anne may have been ran off the road. What is going on here? I mean, she only had like a 30-minute drive. Right, but uh, apparently at this, it looks like that maybe, according to the testimony, that there was a second set of tire tracks, so maybe somebody ran her off the road Mm -hmm. and then took her, maybe who knows, did what else, and then either shot uh, or, or... bludgeoned her to death or something, which would explain why there was a shoe and the patch of grass that looked like it had been mashed down. Maybe there was something there. Then her shoe comes off. There's, there's, Mm -hmm. you know, that. And then, you know, maybe at that point. He put her back in the car? Probably. Put her back in the car. And then my guess is that, you know, they burnt the car to try to burn the evidence. Mm -hmm. That would seem like what happens. When all of it was said and done, the jury made a decision that a homicide had actually taken place. It was hard for Anne's family to understand why anybody would, would try to hurt her. She was so kind and small, five foot two and a hundred pounds. Hmm. She's a little bitty. Yeah. She had no enemies, so why would anyone deliberately want to hurt her? It looks as though Anne was probably in one of those situations where she was just a vulnerable female at the wrong place at the wrong time. And Somebody uh, couldn't overcome their urges to just do something bad. Yeah. And that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, she's so little, she can't, probably couldn't fight right. anybody off. So, apparently somebody killed her. That's what it looks like. And then, like I said, they tried to burn all the evidence. With that, the married couple's hopes and dreams obviously went up in smoke, along with that car. Awful. 
Detectives went to Anne's college, and they spent about five days there interviewing dozens of her friends and classmates, and none of them had any clue why anyone would want to hurt Anne, and they definitely didn't have any any uh, answers as to who it might be if, yeah. if it did happen. Despite a long investigation, the murder was never solved. My goodness, nothing? No, locals, nothing. Locals claim that they're almost positive who did the murder. They almost know. Now, I didn't see any names, not that I would have known them. Oh, yeah. But I didn't see any names come up, but um, that's kind of what they think happened. They, they, they think they know who did it, and they just basically got by with it. In fact, two men, it is assumed, actually committed the murder. With these killers never brought to justice, could it be that Anne, frustrated, kind of hangs around the area hoping that justice will eventually be served? That's I mean, they had like. absolutely nothing to bring these these people in on. Nothing. Nothing. Well, no, I guess not. I think I don't think it was the police who really had leads. I think it was more just an assumption by the townspeople. Oh, okay. They, you got to realize this was not a very big town. Mm-hmm. And when I say not very big, you you'll see when we get into a little further. But I mean, it, it was not big at all. Remember that Anne's husband was also a basketball teacher, and she would spend all kinds of time inside the gym. At the Avard High School, where her husband coached, obviously, mm-hmm. sitting in the stands, just kind of cheering the team on, like most people would. Right. Like I was just saying, Avard wasn't a very big town, and the land that the school and the gym were built on was actually donated to the town in 1940. The town now is a ghost town, and I mean literally. Like, of the uh, of the 2000 census that was taken, what, we're looking 20 years ago, there was 25 people listed as residents there. 25? 25 people. And I heard uh, on a little interview that I was looking at with some guy that uh, this was like a couple years ago, there was only like 13 people who lived there. So the school eventually was shut down years ago when the student population was so low that it just didn't warrant Mm -hmm. having a high school there. Now, I I didn't see anything that told me how big it was like in the 50s here, but I can't imagine that it was any more than two or 300 people. Mm -mm. So... With that town and then uh, the other town was, was really close to it, where her college was, you know, there's still going to be some people, but town folk, but I mean, two, three, four hundred people, you could see why somebody might assume they know who did something. Well, yeah, definitely. Somebody probably opened their mouth and said something about it. Well, I mean, and, that's not going to take long to get around. Jeez. Right. So eventually the school and the gym became uh, the home of several different businesses. So they had to do something with it and it became like an industrial area. And But the building was still used for a bunch of different things. One of which was started in 1995. And it was the at the time when this business started, it was the only business in there. No, nothing else was being used at the time. So the only business in there was Vena Ray's Grill and Grays. <laughs> well, that's kind of cool. <laughs> It's a it's a down home country style food restaurant started by Nan Wheatley and Deborah Campbell, and they're known for country fried steak, their mashed potatoes, and their hot apple pie. Sounds yum. It does sound good. And if it wasn't in Oklahoma and wasn't closed, I would like to go. <laughs> <laughs> so the sounds of basketball players running up and down the court and, and squeaky shoes have been replaced by the clinking sound of silverware, and the smell of sweaty basketball players has been replaced with the smell of Burgers on the grill, hot coffee, and the smell of burnt hair. That's right, I said burnt hair. 
Why? <laughs> Why is there burnt hair? Well, sometimes the smell of that terrible, oh. undeniable odor of burnt hair appears in the restaurant. Oh, my goodness. Nan says that it's overwhelming to some visitors. And wherever the scent materializes, it's usually just in a very small, confined area. If you step away from that spot, you can't smell it. Nan said that the first time that she smelt it, it literally made her sick. She had to go throw up. So does it stay in one area, or does yeah, it... just that one little? It's just one little, maybe just if where you're standing, and if you take one step away, you don't smell it. Oh. So it's possible that Anne Spirit continued on to the high school that day, where she was going to meet her husband, mm-hmm. and she might her spirit might have made it to the high school while her body was actually burning there on that road. Oh my gosh, that's ugh! Can't even imagine. When Nan and Deborah opened up the restaurant, the last thing that they expected was to share the place, basically, with any type of ghosts. They never even thought about ghosts until they got an unexpected visitor shortly after opening. So Deborah said that she was in the dining room, and she just happened to look over, and there was a customer sitting at one of the tables. Now, she was confused as to why she didn't hear this customer come in, because there's a um, cowbell. That mm-hmm. they had on the door, so when it opened it up, you could always hear it. You yeah. could always hear it, and she didn't hear it. But she looks over. There's this pretty woman in green, sitting there at the table. She said the woman was adjusting her skirt, and she didn't make any kind of eye contact with Deborah. So when Deborah turned around to grab her notepad and her pen, she turned back around, and the lady was gone. Once again, no sound of the doorbell or anything for 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 leaving, and. She said she basically was sitting there with her pad in her hand, the pen holding it to the pad, and her mouth just sitting there wide open, looking at this now empty table. And she said this this cold chill just kind of crept down yeah, her spine. Yeah, I bet. So she asked Nan, because she had heard the story about Anne, mm-hmm. but she asked Nan what Anne looked like. And the description that, that she gave to Nan was almost exactly all the way down to the short auburn hair. It was a complete match. (laughs) So Nan and Deborah later learned that Anne was wearing green on the day that she died. So this pretty much confirmed to the owners of the restaurants that it was indeed Anne who had visited them that day. Oh, man. The spirit of Anne may be now stuck in the old gym. The question is, does she even understand that it's no longer a basketball court? Mm -hmm. Or is she aware... That her widowed husband eventually remarried and years later died of a heart attack. Oh, he did? Yeah. Perhaps she knows all this, but just wants to get the case solved. Yeah, I'm sure. Nan tells a story about being alone in the kitchen. She swears that while she was in the kitchen by herself, that this sponge just came from nowhere and flew towards her. And obviously it didn't It didn't hit her, but regardless. Oh, even if it did, it wasn't going right. to hurt. She must have been uh, sending her a hint, like, hello, you need to clean that table or something. Who knows, you know. Might have had some jelly on it or something still. Right. She said almost 20 years of running the restaurant, which, uh, like I said, eventually closed. Now, I looked it up, and uh, I saw an interview with them in 2016, so I know it was still open then, but mm-hmm. I don't know what's closed since then. But I could imagine it's probably hard to keep a restaurant open when you only got 15 or 20 people in oh, town. Oh, definitely. But she said... That they got used to the jingling silverware and the sudden knocks on the walls. And that occasionally, 
Nan and Deborah would both see shadow figures move through their peripheral visions. It's like I was saying before, eventually they got used to all that stuff, but Nan admits that there was a time when she was so scared to be in the place alone that she would do whatever she could to make sure somebody else was in there. You know, that's right. I don't blame her for that. She said on one occasion, her and her mother, Ramona, they were both shaken up when Ramona saw an apparition. Now, apparently Ramona was a very level-headed person, so when she told Nan that she had seen something, Nan without a doubt believed her. Yeah. She said that her mother hollered at her and said, Hey, uh, I just saw a headless woman float through a wall and into the kitchen. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> she said nonchalantly. Yeah. And? <laughs> <laughs> Your point? More frightening for Nan, though, was the night that she was there locking the back door. She said something grabbed her roughly around the shoulders and threw her down the hall. Wow. She picked herself up. She said she wasn't injured in any way, but she was definitely, um, you know, frightened and scared and just like, what the hell? Well, wonder why they're getting physical now. Well, she said that she didn't tell anybody about this incident. And it took her a long time before she finally did because she thought people would think that she was losing her mind. Mm-hmm. It was not unusual to hear footsteps in the hallway. So that was something that she became accustomed to, but getting thrown down the hall was not one of them. Now, one of the strange events that happened when all was all the meat that she kept in her freezer was rearranged. She was very meticulous about how she kept her meat and in which order and all that. Yeah. But she said something or someone rearranged all of it <laughs> in there at one point. So events began to happen so often that Nan and Deborah invited some paranormal investigators and some mediums in to take a look into it and see what might be going on. During these investigations, one medium said she sensed a very angry man on the premises. His name, according to her, was Isaac. Now, to, to Nan, this sounded a lot like the entity that she had picked up on a gloomy old man and she believes that was the entity that grabbed her and threw her down the hallway. So, so not, that answers not the girl. Your, yeah, okay. that answers your question as, as to mm-hmm. why they're becoming violent is because according to this medium, that's a completely different entity. So the medium did a cleansing of the building. Nan said that Anne's ghost stayed, but Isaac left and went to the vacant house across the street. How do they know that? Well, good question. There was a woman named Mary who was visiting Avard for the first time. She was a passenger in the car that was driving past that vacant house. And she glanced over and she noticed that there was an old man sitting in a recliner on the porch. She said he looked to be average height, either bald or gray hair. His face was contorted into an evil expression. Not really evil, she said, more as hateful. And said he was in his late 50s, early 60s, dark pants, and a light button-up shirt. Pretty good description of somebody at a vacant house. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Nan and Deborah had uh, other mediums telling that this place had wall-to-wall ghosts in there. Fun. So they say that the cafe is a portal to the other side where ghosts have passed through here. So that's why they have so many ghosts in there. Gosh. See, that's enough to supply a restaurant. Right? Yeah, if they got real money. (laughs) One of the mediums, they supposedly turned into Anne. I guess they were her for a little bit. They asked her why she hadn't moved on. Anne said that she was still there, 
because she wanted to know why they had done this to me. The fact that the medium said they may confirm that there were indeed two killers. Mm -hmm. Killers, even if alive, would be old men by now. Think yeah. about this. Is it possible that they're still in the area? Yeah. This would almost be 65 years ago. So at best, they would be in like their mid-80s right now if they're alive. And that, that, was, that would be if they were teens at the time this happened. Mm -hmm. So, you know, chances are they're probably not alive. Yeah, and surely not around that area, probably. He said, Anne was charred beyond recognition. Her knee was burnt off at the knee. I mean, her uh, leg was burnt off at the knee. Oh, man, poor baby. The woman who loved children and wanted to be a teacher never got the chance to nurture children of her own or in the classroom. She definitely deserved some justice, but it doesn't look like this is ever going to happen. Well, that's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. I mean, hopefully she can just maybe try to move on. Huh. Ugh. I just never understand how people don't get caught doing such horrible things. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the stuff I looked at said if they had the forensics ability and DNA and all mm -hmm. that stuff that, you know, testing that they got today, it probably wouldn't be an issue, but. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sure it wouldn't be. So it's, a, it's amazing how far forensics have come from what it was just 65 years ago. Like yeah, that. right. Now, it's really sad that she had to experience such a horrific death. So I wonder now if there's, because I couldn't find it. I, I looked, I tried to look up the address and all that stuff. There's just not a lot on the restaurant. He said there's a couple of videos out there, but I wonder if that building is being used for anything now. And if you saw this building, it looks basically, I mean, from what I saw, it looks like just an old steel sh big shed. That, why would that they, hadn't though? Been used. If there's nothing around them, why would anybody even bother Probably with not. It? Probably not. But. Well. I don't know. You need to tear it down. I guess. Might as well. Anyways, guys, that's our story. And uh, we'll let you in on the first. And if I say it, it has to be true. <laughs> There's going to be Tracy DC on this Sunday's episode. Uh, so we're going to actually crack down and make it happen. All righty. So, I know y'all just can't wait for that. Yeah, if I'm telling you it's going to be this Sunday, that I know it'll happen because now she'll have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And thanks to all y'all for listening and watching the uh, Hillbilly Dead Time Stories. We appreciate it. We got uh, a bunch of re reviews that were nice, and we got a bunch of just views on it and, and uh, subscriptions to the page. We still need more, so if you're listening and haven't done that yet, go subscribe, and uh, it, will, it will make me a very happy person. Yeah. I thought that was a cool story. And like I said, I even went as far as to try to call the uh, the restaurant and found out that it wouldn't still open. And I did do some, some research to find out about when it closed and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. ago, so Yeah, it was a good story for sure. I, it, I think it's always cool when you have stories that involve like certain smells. And, mm -hmm. the, you know, in this case, like the burning smell. And it's just in this case it's kind of creepy because usually you want it's like a cigar or you smell somebody's perfume or, yeah yeah you don't want to smell the burning smell you don't want to smell burning flesh or no that's just kind of gross it is gross but anyway i thought it was a really cool story like i said i before i didn't know it existed until i did some research and stumbled across it which so many of these stories i just stumble across all right let's take a couple seconds here and listen to mr gorga Hey guys, I've got a special guest today. I've got M.R. Gorga. He is an author, 
he's got a book that that came out recently called Demons Among Us. I thought this was really a uh, a book that was up the alley of this audience. So I thought it would be fun to get him on and talk a little bit about it. As it says in the book, shocking real life stories from the paranormal. And I think anytime you throw the word demon out there, that automatically gets people's attention right off the bat. And it did mine. And I, I just want to say thanks for coming on with us, Amar. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here and uh, grateful to be on the show today. Thanks for having so, me. So you've been writing for a long time. This is a life lifelong passion of yours. This is your first book, though that involves the paranormal demons, however you want to term it. Some people don't look at demons as paranormal. Some people do. It's all, I guess, from a religious background where you come from. Mm -hmm. Uh, I lump it all in the same thing. So uh, we're on the same page as far as that goes. Tell me a little bit about the book itself and, and what made you write this book? What inspired you? Right. Well, Demons Among Us is really a a deep dive behind the, the curtain of the paranormal. It really rips the veil off the paranormal to show what's really functioning and operating uh, behind the scenes without, without most people not even realizing or knowing it, that there's a, a force or a, an evil influence behind society, you know, just operating and functioning behind society and, and uh, people's lives. And what inspired me to write the book is uh, it's an answer to a string of attacks that I've had going back a few years ago. And there was like a, a series of nighttime assaults where it was nighttime stranglings with invisible hands, chokings, choking the breath out of you, chest like suppressions. Most would, would refer to that as uh, sleep paralysis, but it's, it's far beyond that. And we can get, we can get into that later. But um, and just things of, of that nature, very horrifying nighttime visitations. And it was a string of attacks. And uh, this was my answer to that because I was like, "All right, you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna come after me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come after you. So let's 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 play." <laughs> so that was my answer to that. How long did you say these attacks took place? Well, what what spanned were these over weeks, months, years? Yeah, this was over like a like a one or two week period, and I, I describe it in the book in the in the introduction. And I'm, I'm actually, I function in ministry as a, as a, as a, as a prayer leader. So one night we're, you know, these things were happening to me and I thought I was all, all alone in the matter. And so at this, at this prayer meeting where afterwards we, we're, we're all gathered, uh, we're in a circle. And I, so I decided to ask people if they were going through these, these types of things, if they were experiencing these demonic assaults at night as well. And so, and one by one, hands started to raise. And when it was all said and done, 13 people had their hands raised. They were all suffering from these demonic nighttime assaults, but nobody wanted to say anything because they all thought that they would be called crazy or whatever, or, you know, whatever name you want (laughs) to call people. But so, and that was, that was, that was actually the deciding factor to write the book. It was just not only me being attacked, but it was other people being attacked. And that's when I got angry and I said, okay, I, I have to write this book to expose these things that are going on out there. So you said there was about 13 people that raised their hand. How many people were in the group altogether? Uh, probably about 25, 30. So uh, over half uh, or, or pretty close yeah. to half. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, for me, it was like a really telling and surprising moment because I didn't expect anybody to 
you know, I was just <laughs> going to put myself out there and just kind of be like hanging in the wind, you know, and uh, lo and behold, people started first. It was like reluctant, like, you know, <laughs> reluctantly, the hands began to raise and then they just all started shooting up. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I've had an experience. This is what's going on. And this is what happened to me. And they all started sharing like these, you know, terrifying experiences with the with the demonic. And, you know, and so I wasn't alone in the matter. Uh, these things really do happen. These forces are real. Uh, and that's why I, I wrote this book just to expose those things that are really functioning in the world around us without without ever knowing it. Did you find any kind of a link between yourself and the the 13 that was in that group that like, for example, were they all had all these just happened? Yours said yours had happened over a couple of week period. Was yeah. this the same for others? Had others been having it going on for much longer? Uh, what kind of no, link it did was, you find? It was it it was kind of strange because it was it was all around the same time. So it was almost like this orchestrated attack in the spiritual realm or the demonic realm. So it must have been a, an attack or an orchestrated spiritual attack on, on the people of God or believers uh, in Jesus Christ. And it just must have been just this assault that was, that was going on. And they were all going on at the same time. Give me an idea if I pick up the book. And I am flipping through the pages. What kind of topics, what kind of stories and stuff am I going to see throughout the book? What do you focus on? Oh, I'm sorry. That was a thunderclap going on behind me. <laughs> it's okay. It just, it just adds to the uh, ambiance. <laughs> uh, well, when you pick up Demons Among Us, you're, you're going to see and experience some of the most terrifying things that that I've experienced and think and in history, for instance, you, we I have um, written about the very first fully documented eyewitness account of demonic possession in American history, and that was recorded and and put down on parchment twenty years before or two decades before the Salem witch trials. And this this was a frightening frightening story, and it's true and it's true. Uh, historical story. It took place in 1671 in early Massachusetts, and it was between the town, a town minister at the time, and his 16-year-old maid or maid servant. And she was experiencing. She started to exhibit some strange behaviors that this minister, uh, after two weeks, started really thinking there's something going on here. There's something really strange here going on with my maid. So what he did was he started writing down every day, blow by blow, the things that were happening to this maid and this, just the atrocities that they, that had befallen her, you know, lots of uh, seizures, fits, supernatural strength, and you're trying to kill herself, trying to kill others, trying to, you know, um, and visitations by, by the devil, trying to tempt her with various things to serve him. And it was just, it's just an amazing historical historical story so you can expect to see that it's it it is quite the story and you can find my personal accounts uh in there as well they're they are completely terrifying and they've been described as like you're so terrifyingly real that they have to stop people have told me they had to stop reading the book because they're afraid they're going to get nightmares and then you can expect to find out how spirits and, and dark forces work behind the scenes to influence lives in society. And you can see 
how these spirits actually work to to penetrate society and to and, and to really just uh, influence influence lifestyles in a bad way. <laughs> We're talking to uh, Mr. Gorga. He has written the book Demons Among Us. It is an Amazon bestseller. Congrats on yes. that. Thank you. Very excited and, uh, about that. Thanks. I, I'm I'm sure you are. I was hoping for that. Didn't quite happen for me, but <laughs> I'm glad it happened for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's always there's always time. Well, I think a big, I think obviously a big part of mine is I sold a lot of mine individually uh, right. off of the website. So you don't get credit for that on Amazon. So I'm very yeah. happy with the, with the number of sales we got, but it's kind of yeah. cool to get, get uh, the acknowledgement as an Amazon bestseller too, though. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's was very exciting. I woke up one morning and I said, let me just check the, uh, <laughs> you know, I was hovering at like 40 and I was getting a 20 and 30 and I'm like, what the heck do I got to do to get this into the, you know, get this up the charts. And then one day I, you know, I did an interview and then one day the next day just shot up to, to number one bestseller. And uh, it's been an exciting ride so far. So hoping to surf that wave as long as I can, I guess. So let's talk about some of these interviews. You've been on coast to coast with George Norrie. How cool was that? That was, it was awesome. I mean, that was a really, really good interview for me. And he was, you know, he was very, very impressed by the book. And, and he had said that, you know, it's going to be a classic. So just to kind of get those kudos for someone who's been doing that for as long and as much as, you know, as, as all the things that he's seen, uh, to say that about my book was was quite a quite a badge of honor for me. Yeah. And then obviously you were on uh, Darkness Radio with uh, Dave Schrader and, and uh, I was. Yeah. Him, so. How yeah. cool was that? Yeah, I, I, love, I love Dave. And Dave. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a such a cool situation. What was the other one? Is it the other side of midnight? The other side of midnight, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a that's an ABC one. So you've been on some really top-notch shows. Yes, which, I have. And, and the reason I bring that up is it's it's not easy to just get on those shows. Those are shows that take the creme de la creme. So in order for to uh, in order for you to get on those shows, they really had to believe in in the book. And so right. that, that adds a lot of credibility to what you've put on paper here. Yeah, exactly. And for uh, Frank Morano from uh, the other side of midnight, he he really did go through the book and he really did, you know, you know, read it. And he said that, um, you know, he gave a warning to people that, first of all, like you won't be able to put this thing down. And second of all, that, you know, it was it was him who said that was so real and so frightening that um, he had to, you know, keep putting it down and coming back to it because he was afraid he was going to have nightmares <laughs> about it. But, but those are, those are great endorsements for me. I'm just very, very grateful for the kind of response that, that it's getting. So yeah, I, I couldn't be, I'm, I'm really thrilled. I couldn't be more happier about it. Do you have plans for something more in the paranormal world moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. I have a couple of things in the works. I'm really excited about one of them is uh, the script I'm working on about 75% done. And that's, I'm not going to give away all of the, all the info, but it's a 17th century horror, a, a witch horror of uh, supernatural proportions. And uh, it's hopefully, if it goes right, it'll be up there with like the conjuring or Emily Rose or that type of script. So so I'm looking to get that out there as as well as soon as I'm as soon as I'm done, and I'm working on a on a fiction novel, and it's also set uh, in the 17th century 
And that has a lot of you know, devils, witches, Indians, all kinds of supernatural things going on there. I don't want to give away all of the beans, but uh, I, I play a lot of my ideas close to the breast because I, I like to keep, I like to preserve them so nobody steals them from me. So it's been a blast having you on. And uh, I, I hope that you have plenty of success in the future with your upcoming books as well as Demons Among Us. Tell everybody how they can get this book. Uh, well, you can get it on Amazon. It's available in uh, Kindle and in paperback version. I always recommend the paperback version because a lot of people are telling me they have to turn it over at night <laughs> so, uh, so they don't get scared by the cover. <laughs> uh, and so you get to experience the, that creep factor. And I can be found online at Instagram at m.r.gorga and as well on Facebook at mrgorga. All right. It's been a blast having you on. Everybody, go check out the book, Demons Among Us. Get it on Amazon. Make sure you leave a review after you get the book and you read it and you're terrified. Go leave a review because that helps more than you realize. It does. Thank you. All right. Thank, thank you so much, Amar. We'll have you on in the future when you come out with some more stuff. I hope so. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thanks so much for being patient with us and letting us use one of our Patreon episodes. But like I said, most of you probably haven't heard that one. So yeah, hope you enjoyed it. I hope you guys do too. Right. And uh, go check out MR's book. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. Thank you for everything you do for us. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. We love you. Ninja loves you too, apparently. <laughs>